Amen. Lord, that's why we're here in remembrance of you, in remembrance of what you did, in remembrance of what you taught us, in remembrance that you were beaten, whipped, cursed, flogged, crucified, and buried. But we're also remember that day you rose from the grave, that day that brings hope to lost and dying people. Lord, we'll never forget. I believe when we get to the kingdom, I believe your scars will not allow us to forget. Because you've been so, so good to us, Lord. Even while we were dead in our sins, you came and saved us. If only we can have that type of agape, unconditional love for one another and for you. Lord, today we are here in remembrance of our Savior, in remembrance of what he said, in remembrance of what we should do, in remembrance of the Great Commission, Lord, and so many other things. Today, Lord, I hope everybody is with me. And they will, once again, just give their life back over to you. Those little places we slipped off track, just come back to the center line. Come back to Jesus. Get your eyes off of the pastors. Get your eyes off of the churches. Get your eyes off of people that claim to be Christians and get your eyes where they should be on Jesus Christ and him crucified, dead, buried, and risen. Lord, help us to do so today. Lord, to you be the glory for this day, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Again, everybody that just tuned in or those that are on YouTube or all these other things that we're on, you know, uh, this is Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches, and I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're, you're tuned in. You can get your Bibles out. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. You can turn to, you can stick your finger in 2 Timothy chapter 2. One of my favorite chapters, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just a little review. Um, I guess you could say it's a review. I spent two weeks, the last two Sundays, on actually a, a, uh, book that I've been writing for ten, almost 10 years. It's almost together, but, you know, I need to get away for like two months and just focus on it because this one hour here and one hour there just isn't any good. But it's, it's, uh, I just can't remember where I was. But the book was called About Face. And um, looking at it from a soldier's point of view, and I told you last week and have showed you through the scriptures that whether you know it or not church you are a soldier of Christ you fight with this not with weapons of warfare politicians fight with words and fancy speeches you know the warriors fight with guns and swords and spears but we fight with the word of God this is our sword this is our shield the believer fights with the word of God I believe that, well, the world needs to come to Jesus, and some people in the church need to come back to Jesus because they slipped off center course. And there's a, one way of, uh, back, really. There's one way to Jesus, and that's through about face, which is it points to repentance, turning around and going the other way. You do a 180-degree turn. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. God is calling you. It's not Uncle Sam up there saying, I want you. It's Jesus Christ saying, I want you. I love you. I came for you. Remember me. We spent time on, on Josiah, you know, and how he turned the nation of Israel around once he found the scrolls. And he repented himself with 
tearing his clothes and tears. Repentance is the first step. There is no other way to faith except through repentance. The church has strayed from this, I believe. You're going to hear repentance here just about every week. And I think it's probably what keeps people away because they don't want to turn around. They're satisfied. They're content where they are. It's impossible to have true faith without repentance. Anyone that claims to have faith without repentance is deceived. You must be believe like Peter believed, really, when he said, I believe that you are Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Peter even said in his book, he said, by believing we have life in his name. You don't have life in good works or any other thing. You have life in his name. Some people, maybe even sitting in church, they wonder if they are really Christians. The Holy Spirit came to convict the world concerning sin and concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. That means you would be confronted by the Holy Spirit. And He will teach you and maybe even give you and should give you a revelation that Jesus Christ is the Lord. I can remember that day in my life. I had a revelation from God. Jesus Christ is, is the Lord. He's not some person that just walked the earth, some historical figure, some good man. He's the Son of God. I was confronted with who He really is when the Holy Spirit showed me. And then I had a choice. I could acknowledge Him and make a public confession before my family and friends and even uh, workers, fellow workmen. I could acknowledge Him or I could deny Him. So I could confess. So if you truly repent, you would have been confronted by the Holy Spirit. You would have a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. And you would begin to acknowledge him before family, friends, no matter if they would reject you or not. Then you would confess them before for them. If you repent, you will meet Jesus as Savior. If you do not repent, you will meet him as judge. All the prophets came on the scene. Their first words out of their mouth were, Repent. Jonah went into Nineveh. He didn't want to preach repentance like many people today. But Jonah, when he was consumed by that great fish, it took him three days to get on the course of repentance and, and repent and go into Nineveh and do what he was supposed to do in the first place. And the first words out of his mouth after that fish spewed him out on the beach were repent. Isaiah's words are repent. Jeremiah's words are repent. John the Baptist's words, the greatest prophet that ever lived, said Jesus. His first words, repent. Jesus comes on the scene. Guess what his first words were? Repent. About face, go the other direction. Even the church seems to be following the world. They're going in the wrong direction. I got news for you. Follow the world. If you're following the world, turn around and go the other way, and you got God. You got God's path for you. Repent is so important to the Christian walk. So about faith speaks of repentance. And if you repent, you will just be enlisting in the United, into the army of the Lord. And we know from Daniel or from Joshua chapter 5 that Jesus is the captain of the hosts of the army of the Lord. You are a warrior. We sing songs like onward Christian soldiers. We are warriors. We forgot. And we fight with this. I, I mentioned to you last week that 
And in the week before, I brought up the a quote from William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. And here's what he said for all you people out there that may have been backslidden. He says this in a quote, Take heed of the fire in your own hearts, for the tendency of fire is to go out, unless you do three things. Keep the draft open. Keep the draft open. In other words, keep the oxygen in there. And isn't the Holy Spirit the air that you breathe? You need the Holy Spirit. Clear out the ashes, number two. Clear out the ashes. That means repent. Turn away from your sin. So if you're going to come back, you've got to turn away from your sin again. And number three, put on more fuel. How do you do that? You study. You obey. You grow. You read. You eat the Word of God. Like Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them and they became the delight and the joy of my heart. Many Christians, they just read through the Bible like it's their speed reading course. And they don't take the time to grow, eat, digest it. And you need to fall back in love with Jesus. That's what we need to do. In every relationship, love waxes and wanes. And we need to turn back to Jesus. So the let me just tell you, this book that I've been writing, and I've taught this course, and we've sent CDs to California and everything probably about 10 years ago, 8, 10 years ago. And the, the table of contents would look like this for a Christian. Number one, repent, about face. Number two, what's the next plan after you about faced and came back, came to Jesus or came back to Jesus? You need to go through what we call discipleship, which I call in my book, Basic training. It's just like any army. You get drafted, you go straight to basic training. And they teach you how to handle weapons of warfare. Basic training, you'll see it in the scriptures, and we're going to get into it a little bit, I think, today and later on. Basic training, how to handle your weapons of warfare. How to put on your spiritual armor. Next week, if I get through this this week, will be a reveille. It's time to attend, get called to attention to do these things that you were taught. After you repent to and be discipled, then now it's time for you to do it and look for more disciples. And then, you know, some of us have different gifts. And in the Army, we call it AIT, which is Advanced Technical Training. Advanced Instructional Training, I'm sorry. And it's about your spiritual gifts. What gift do you have? Every believer has a gift. And God wants you to use it. He doesn't want it lying dormant. He wants you to use it. We're going to see things like that. And then we're going to see that the army of God needs to march forward. Forward march. That's what Jesus was telling us when he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of nature. Forward march. Go into all the world. Preach the gospel. Baptize those who believe. And then we got guard duty. Now, every Christian needs to be on the guard for the enemy. The enemy's out to undermine you all the time. You've got to be on your guard. The Scriptures tell you to test yourself and see if you are a Christian. Be on guard all the time. Guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. You know why God gives you a breastplate of righteousness? To guard your heart. And then we talk about it being a spirit-filled Christian. And an empowered life. You know, Paul said this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. A lot of Christians won't even open their mouth about Jesus when they get out into the workplace. In church, it's fine. We need to be empowered. And how do you do that? By not being ashamed of who you are. You're a child of God in Jesus Christ. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the world. And then you have your orders. What is your orders? What order has God given you? It's a life of witnessing in the world. 
We're going to touch on some of that, maybe even today, but I'm not sure. There's a whole world out there. The scriptures tell us there are multitudes in the valley of decision. There's a whole world out there that they haven't decided yet whether Jesus Christ is Lord, and we need to coax them on. We knew they're in the valley of decision. We need to share with them about the Lord. So repentance chapter 1, chapter 2 is discipleship, or you could say a yielding, a yielded life. So turn to Hebrews chapter 10 or 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And verses uh, 10 and 11. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, and we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastising seems to be joyous for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Being a, a believer, after you become saved, after you about face and turn around and go into a different direction and acknowledge Christ as Lord, confessing him before men, you need to go through boot camp. No chastisement seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to all those who are trained by it. That's like a boot camp. A soldier has to be trained. He has to be disciplined. He has to be self-controlled. He has to, they're trying to build character and perseverance. And as a believer, you need the same thing. Consistency will always carry the qualities of dis discipline and self-control, character and perseverance. A soldier's life, then, is a disciplined life. So a Christian's life is a disciplined life. We need to be disciplined in the Lord. Every soldier is going to be tested in body and mind. And uh, like, likewise, Christians will. Drill sergeants in the army will push you to your extreme. And that's what basic training is about in the Lord. Discipleship, pushing yourself to that extreme. And it will save your life eventually. The drill sergeants in the army were hated. But when they were these soldiers were on the battlefield, he became their best friend. Because he gave them the information that saved their life. And that's what training is all about. He taught them strength of mind and body and soul. They taught them how to run and jump and crawl and climb and shoot and throw and dig ditches. How to hide. You know how champions are made? They're made by people that push themselves to the extreme. Now they see why the training and discipleship was so important. The soldier has to learn discipline, and so does the Christian soldier. He needs to learn discipline. Apostle Paul was one of the most disciplined soldiers in the entire scriptures. And he wrote words like this, But we also glory in tribulation, Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Paul was disciplined like you wouldn't believe. He was, on his first missionary trip, he went to a city called Lystra and preached the gospel, and they took him outside and stoned him to death. 
They said he was dead. But then again, a spirit raised him up, and he went back into the city. Talk about a warrior that's strong and tough. And the next day, he made his way out. Paul learned what we learned in a song uh, a few years back. What doesn't, what doesn't kill you will only make you stronger. And that's what the drill sergeants do. And that's what discipleship does. It will only make you star stronger. You'll memorize scriptures. And then 20 years later, you'll be using those scriptures to get out of war zones or whatever it is that you are involved in. Scriptures, it's, it's hard to memorize scripture. But you need to. I don't care if you're 85 years old. You still need to memorize scripture. I heard David Jeremiah, and I love David Jeremiah on TV. He's telling me he still memorizes scripture. I know he's older than me. You need to memorize scripture. It's part of your discipline to learn scripture. It's a yielded life. It's time to yield over to the Lord. Be willing to be separated from your loved ones and friends if you have to, for the Lord's sake. You've taken on a new direction. You're willing to become a new creature. A soldier like Paul, he says things something like this, to press on toward the high calling of God which he received through his Savior, Christ Jesus, the captain of his faith. Even your diet's about to change. You're going to quit reading romantic novels and hunting books and fishing books, and you're going to be reading this book. Your, your diet of food will change. The Christian soldier is going to learn in basic training how to Put on spiritual armor. On June 6th, 1943, French, British, American, Canadian, and United States soldiers, 160,000 of them, invaded Normandy, France. There were five beaches, 5,000 ships, 800 airplanes, 1,300 paratroopers led by General Dwight D. Eisenhower, the beginning of the end of Hitler's reign. But what if those soldiers that were beached, if they weren't dressed in their spiritual armor or their physical armor, what if they come out of those boats that the flap came down and they ran onto Normandy's beach and they were still in their pajamas? They didn't know how to use their armor that God gave them or the weapons that God gave them for their spiritual warfare. They would have been wiped out. They were almost wiped out any and these were anyhow because these were qualified, fit, trained soldiers to do what they did. And very few of them got through. But they had their armor on. You have an enemy, church, and the enemy's out to get you. As I mentioned last week, he has two strategies. And they're, they're basically, two strategies is it. Number one, he tries to keep you from finding Christ Jesus as your Savior. That's number one. That's his main goal. I don't want anybody to find Jesus as Savior because he knows that if you find Jesus and you're unashamed, he is defeated in your life. You can push him back. Because Jesus told us that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. He also told us that, that we can rebuke demons and we can go after serpents and scorpions and all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt us. But you have to learn how to put on the armor. And here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 through 17. And you know these verses if you've been a Christian a while. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual forces of wickedness of this age, and against, and against uh, in heaven, in wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole, W-H-O-L-E, armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. 
And having all that you could do to stand, stand fast, therefore. The discipline of a soldier right there. When you're told to stand, you stand, and you stand. Stand, and then stand, therefore. It's emphatic. God's driving home a point here. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all that you can do to stand, stand fast, therefore, having your loins girded up with truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all things, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to squench all, squelch all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God's telling you how to get dressed for battle. You can't go to battle and leave the armor behind. God has equipped this armor for a one-size-fits-all, every Christian. The helmet of salvation, where, where to, we know that that protects your mind, your sight. John says, Do not love the world, for the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life are not from the Father, but they're from the world. Those, that helmet protects you, your brain, your, your mind, your sight, your hearing. It says, notice, put on the whole armor of God. Some Christians just want to fight with the sword and the spirit, but their breastplate of righteousness is still left at home. So when they use their sword and the spirit, people look at them and say, you, you're a drunkard half the time. Your breastplate of righteousness is laying at home. So the, it doesn't have the weight. His testimony doesn't have the weight that it should have. Put on the whole armor of God. Take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You can't fight against the devil with swords and spears and fancy speeches. You can only use this. The Word of God. 31,102 verses. 31,102 verses and all of them are swords that the enemy is scared to death of. You see that in, in Jesus' uh, temptation in the wilderness. He said, it is written. He took up his shield of faith. He took out his sword of the Spirit, and he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Shield, sword. But Jesus had his breastplate on. You know how I know that? Turn to Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. This is God. Okay? Verse 17. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in a zeal of man, uh, a mantle, a zeal as a mantle. This is talking about God going into battle. Listen, if God needs to put his righteous, his, his put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, and if he needs to put on garments of vengeance for his clothing and put a zeal as a mantle, if God has to do it, how much more you and me when we go into battle against the enemy? We can't go with just sword and shield. We need to go with, with our breastplate of righteousness, our helmet of salvation. You know where Goliath messed up? He took off his helmet. He underestimated his enemy. He took off his, his helmet, thinking there's just a little boy out there with a slingshot. He underestimated his enemy, and it's we, people of God, cannot underestimate the enemy. The Christian soldier has forgot our life is not a playground. It is a battleground. It is a battleground for the souls of men. The Christian soldiers, the warriors, real soldiers, uh, warriors go out and they kill people. We go out and bring people to life because they're already dead. 
they don't have Jesus. They're dead in their sins. Our job is to bring them to life by bringing the Word of God into their life. Turn to Second Timothy chapter 2. We're gonna, if I get to where I need to today, we're going to be reading almost this whole chapter. But I'm going to start at verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also, suffering har- suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier in active, active service gets entangled himself in the affairs of this world so that he may please the one who has enlisted him as a soldier. You're in a battleground. As I told you last week, the war of all ages still rages. John cha- or Daniel chapter 7, the war of all ages still rages, and we need to be in that battle. We can't sit in the pews at church just because there are nice padded seats. We've got to get out there and do our job. That doesn't mean you have to go to Brazil or, or Africa. It means that we just need to share the message with those that we love. The war of all ages is still raging, and the church is pretty much asleep in the light. Did you know that devils can even be in heavenly places like this? Did you know that? That's what the scripture says, right, right here. That um, that you get, you know, you may be able. Let's see, how's it go? Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You know, the devil goes to church, whether you know it or not. Jesus said, "There's tares among the wheat." The devil goes to church. You got to watch yourself, even around other believers. Because you don't know where there is. They're talking one thing, but is their heart saying the same thing? Having all that you've done to stand, stand firm, therefore. As I mentioned earlier, it's emphatic. When God has to mention two things right in a row, stand fast, he means stand fast. When when a captain says, a ten hut, you stand there at attention, chest on, head high, You stand there in attention until he says, at ease. The Lord has not given the church an at ease call right now. Actually, he's saying, go, therefore. Keep going. Remember, this is a co-mission. I'm with you in that battle. Having girded your loins with truth. You know, there's several purposes for the belt of truth. Number one, it's for if you have to get to battle, you take your, your, you gird up your loins, you take your skirt and tuck it into the belt of truth so that you can run faster. If also the belt of truth has your weapons attached to it, if you were a, 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 an archer, your quiver is attached to the belt of truth. If you're a foot soldier, your sword is tucked in to your belt of truth. If you're a awarded, let's say, a, a, a soldier with medals, your battle medals are attached to the, the belt of truth. So if you see a soldier out there, when the enemy sees a soldier out there that has two purple hearts and a, and a bronze star, on that belt of truth, he's going to say, I'm not messing with that guy. I'll go fight this guy over here. So the more information you get, the more, the stronger you are in the Lord, the enemy will flee from you. Because he'll look at those medals on your breast. He'll look at that sword on your side. He'll look at that quiver on your back. He said, I'm out of here. I'm not messing with him because I'll be a dead man. That's the way the enemy, that's what the enemy should see. A Christian soldier dressed in the complete total armor of God, the helmet of salvation, 
the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield and the sword, and he sees that, you're fully dressed. But some Christians, they take off, as I mentioned, they take off their best belt of truth. They take off the breastplate of righteousness. Listen, nowhere in the scriptures, and I mention this, my church that, that come here all the time know what I say. There is no place in the scripture where God says, take off your armor. He keeps saying, put it on. Put on Christ. Put on the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. We need to understand this. The belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know who the breastplate of your righteousness is, is don't you? Turn to Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, and the second part of that verse. Let me read the whole verse. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Your righteousness is not your own righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. He clothes you with the righteous, uh, the, his righteousness. And that's why if you turn to Matthew chapter 22, at the wedding feast of the Lamb, not the wedding feast of the Lamb, but the wedding banquet that Jesus is talking about. Let me read it to you. The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite the banquet, invite to the banquet anyone you find so that the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited but few are chosen this man did not have the breastplate of righteousness this breastplate that Jesus covers you with the robe of righteousness he did not have it yet he was in this wedding feast and he was thrown outside. A lot of people think they're, they may think that they have the breastplate of righteousness, but they don't. You've got to be sure. You're, it'll, you'll be known by your fruits, says Matthew chapter 7. God says, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Do not judge, lest you be judged yourself. And everybody uses that all the time. Don't judge me. But then if you keep reading in the chapter, you'll see that Jesus says bad fruit. Good trees do not produce bad fruit, and bad trees do not produce good fruit. So now he's not talking judgment in the same chapter. He's talking fruit inspection. If you have the bread breastplate of righteousness, the, the righteousness of Christ, you will, have, you will have good works. You will have fruit. So in that chapter, God's not telling you don't judge. He's telling you don't judge but you can fruit inspect. And it's very important because some people just don't have any fruit. I remember several years ago, there was a guy sitting way in the back of the church here, and I've known him for years, and I've ministered to him, and he, ke he kept coming here for weeks, and I kept telling him, to, I was preaching on the fruit of the spirits this one day, and he came marching up to the front after the service, and he said, Pastor Joe, he says, I was raised in a Christian home. I praised the sinner, played the, prayed the sinner's prayer a hundred times. He said, but as you're preaching back here, I'm looking at, we was looking at, I'm preaching on the fruit of the Spirit. He says, I don't have any fruit. He said, I don't think I'm a Christian. I said, well, listen, I'm not going to lead you in prayer. If you've prayed this prayer a hundred times, I think you need to lead the prayer. And he did. He led the prayer. I'd never seen him again.
You've got to mean it with your heart. God doesn't look at your intellect. He wants your heart. The breastplate of righteousness guards your vital organs, especially your heart. Your helmet protects your mind. Good works is a byproduct of true salvation. Good works. As I said before, you do good works by accident. If you are a true believer, then you would if you tried a lifetime. You would do good works by accident. It would just be your second nature. It's your byproduct. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Do you know in the battlefield and these days with King David when he was fighting, the enemy would go out at night and plant broken glass and pottery anything that was sharp, metal, on the battlefield. Because some soldiers did not have their sandals. They were poor soldiers. Listen, you take off your, your shoes or, your, your, or the, the gospel of peace, the, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace or the shoes of peace. You take off your shoes of peace. The enemy can wipe you out like that because you, you're trying to get into the battlefield and you're stepping all over glass. You take somebody's feet out and they're done. Being a Vietnam veteran, I remember, I think they gave me three pairs of boot, boots when we went to Vietnam and probably a, a dozen socks. And the first thing they said was, take care of your feet. You know, a lot of times, I mean, it rained over there for three or four months straight. I'm not talking a drizzle. I'm talking rice paddies that are as high as the ceiling and filled with water and covering the roads. Take care of your feet. And I believe it was during World War II they were trying to get into Russia or something and, and the soldiers' feet were, were frozen. They, they just they couldn't do it because they lost because their feet were taken out from under them from the cold. This is a day of good news. Second Kings chapter 7, verse 8. You know, I love the book of Kings. A lot of, a lot of good and a lot of bad in there. Second Kings chapter 7. There were these lepers. There was an army that came against Israel. I'm going to read the whole passage to you. Verse 8. When the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent because these Armenians were going to destroy Israel and they were already in a famine. Okay? And these lepers went and came to the outside of the skirts of the Armenian camp, and they entered one tent and ate and drank then, and um, from there, and silver and gold, and went out and hid them. And they turned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went out and hid them. Then they said to one another, Where We are not doing right. This is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait till morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Listen, this is a day of good news. These lepers went into that camp. God had caused these Armenians to flee. They thought that the king of Israel hired uh, uh, people from, I think it was Egypt. They were going to hire them and come and wipe them all out. So they heard a uh, a whole bunch of noises and they just took off and left everything there these lepers go into the camp and they find out that they're gone so what's the first thing they do they eat they drink they gather all the gold the silver and they hide it and then they're uh, sitting there remorseful saying why this is a day of good news we should be sharing it with the people in the city because there's plenty of food out here so they did. They went into the city. And this is where we are today in the Christian church and in the world today. It's time for us to take this good news. We have the antidote for certain spiritual death. 
but we forget about it. We're too comfortable in our chairs. Complacency. I mentioned to you many times in Vietnam, I, was, I got so complacent. I volunteered to run mail runs every day from our, from our mid, what was our relay station to the, the unit for, for mail and go into the air base. I did it every day or practically every day I was on the road. I was tired of those radios that buzz 7, 24 7, 365 days of the year. My hearing went bad over that time. Generators running it. I finally volunteered, and then I could get a hamburger instead of eating sea rations for four months at the airbase. Well, I got so used to making that trip, no matter where we were, I never got confronted with anything to the point where I left the shotgun back. I said, usually had to drive with a shotgun, so he takes care of, you know, any, anybody out there. That's where you get the term shotgun. You take another man with you with a shotgun, not really an M16, okay, and, and if anybody, if it's a deuce and a half or something, you put a guy in the back so if anybody throws a grenade in there, they can grab it and throw it out before it blows up. I got so complacent, I started making this run by myself to the point where I left my M16 back at the, the mountain. I was so complacent until one day AK-47 rounds were flying over my head. And I get inside the air base, the Fukat air base, and the engine to the, to the it was a one and a quarter ton truck I had, and the, and the engine just froze. Motor cool sergeant, he said, Trapani, if you didn't check that oil, I'm going to court-martial you. I said, I checked the oil, but I lied. I didn't check the oil. He called me a couple days later if they got the thing back to the base, and he says, it's a good thing I found a hole in the oil pan, probably from a ricocheting AK-47 round. Complain. I tell you what, I never, I had my M16 with me from then, from now on, because I moved out of that place of complacency. That's one time, and it happened several times to also, not, not with the M16, but in different ways. I'm telling you, don't be complacent. This is a day of good news. They, weren't, they, they had the antidote for, for, for life, for the people that were starving in the city. And finally, they made a good decision, and it's time for the church to make a good decision and get the message going. This COVID thing has slowed things down in the Christian church. People aren't sending their checks in to a lot of different churches. You know, because they're out. They figure, well, if I'm not going to church this week, I don't have to tithe this week. Well, yes, you do. I don't preach on money. I don't. I might touch on it here and there. But the money needs to come to keep those missionaries in the field. Our missionary, we, we support, and most of you know him, when he came out of the field for sabbatical, all the Christian churches dropped him except for Freedom Church that I know of. There's some personal people that came up feeding him, but they think, hey, you're on vacation. How would you like to go on your vacation from your work that you worked there for 10 years, and they give you two weeks vacation, but they say, you can have it, but we're not going to pay you. I think every missionary that's on furlough needs to continue there. Those those fees need to come in because they still have to live. But people right now with this COVID thing are, are not sending in their finances to the church. I'm not talking about this church. I'm going to tell you what. We have been fortunate, very fortunate. And I thank God. The enemy will throw fiery darts In Genesis chapter 3, he fired a fiery dart of doubt in Eve. He threw a fiery dart of denial and deception. But this passage says that above all things, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Roman soldiers had a shield, and I don't know, some of them had a leather on the front of their shield. And before they went to battle, they would dip the leather in water. And then when a fiery dart hit them, whether it be a, 
a fire, an arrow would fire on it, or, or just a regular arrow, it would extinguish it when it hits the shield. Well, Psalm 91 says that we can rest in the shadow of the Almighty. So we have a shield, and that's the Almighty, as you well know. The gospel, you know also, is it means good news. It's to be shared. Take up the helmet of salvation. Here's what Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and you know it. I beseech thee, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, church, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You need to keep that helmet on. It protects your hearing also, as I mentioned. It protects your eyes from the lust of the world. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As I mentioned, 31,102 verses, and I'm sure you know at least one of them, can use it against the enemy because they're quoting the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, I told you many times, you're supposed to study, show yourself approved to God, handling accurately the Word of Truth. Some Christians, your job is to grow in the knowledge of God so that you can handle that sword accurately, like a three musketeer. You ever know the three musketeer? They didn't have the double-edged sword. They just had a little spine-like. But they were so skilled at that sword that they would block the sword coming at them with it. Exactly what they do, skillfully, with their one arm behind their back. And then their opponent, at the right time, they handled that sword so skillfully when the opponent made the wrong move, zip, right into their heart. That's what God wants us to do as Christians. Be so knowledgeable of the Word of God that we know exactly the right verses to throw out there. Jesus knew exactly the ones that he needed to. I think they were all from Deuteronomy. I very seldom quote Deuteronomy against the enemy. Listen, you handle it accurately, the word of truth. And that means you have to get into a discipleship program where you're trained. My pastor took me aside when I was a young man, and he trained me. He, made, he showed me. I took the navigator's course of, of uh, memorization. And you know, every week I had to memorize certain verses I carried them in a little card in my pocket and while I was at work I'd memorize them and on Sunday when I get to church and Wednesday the pastor would say okay Joe let me tell, tell me your Bible verse sometimes I had to hide from him because I didn't have it but he disciplined me for two years probably about two a little maybe even a little more than two years God has given us all the equipment in this world let me go through real quick. I'm just going to touch on 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to touch just certain verses in here. I'm going to give you 12 traits of a Christian soldier from this chapter. Verses 2 through 5. But verse 2 through 4. 2 Timothy. I read some of this before. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will also be able to teach others suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So what does this verse tell you? This verse is telling you that a soldier must be strong in the Lord. He must be strong in the Lord. How many times, you know Joshua was a great general. 
You know that the Lord in chapter 1 had to come to him and say, Have I not commanded you, Joshua, to be strong and very courageous? And then the ninth verse says the same thing. Even Joshua had to be strong to do what he had to do, take the promised land by force. Number two, the soldier must be faithful to God's call. He must commit to the Lord. He must be committed to the Lord. Faithful to that call that God gave you. You were all called. If you're, you're a believer, you were all called by God. I want to turn, I'm just going to, you don't need to turn there, but I'm going to turn to 2 Samuel chapter uh, 15. And I've used this before, and so I hope you don't get tired of it. But this is one of my favorite men in the Scripture. It was a warrior of David. I think he was number 17 on David's great warriors. His name was Ittai. Ittai was a Philistine. He was a Gittite. He was a Philistine. He joined David's army the day before Absalom was taking the city over. Absalom was on his way in. Ittai takes his 600 men, the Philistines, and joins David's armory the day before Absalom comes in. The next day, Absalom comes in, takes over the cities, and, and keeps David's concubines there. David gets his people out of the city. Ittai's coming down to the valley, uh, you know, the, the valley, uh, what's it, the, the Kindron Valley, and he sees Ittai coming with his 600 men. David's sitting on his horse over here. And David says to Ittai, Ittai, you just joined the army yesterday. He says, you, this battle isn't yours. Take your 600 and go home. And I love Ittai's answer. I love it. And that's why I like Ittai. Here's what Ittai says. But Ittai answers the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely wherever my lord the king may be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. You see the commitment to this man? He was committed to David's army. You know what? He ended up in chapter, if you went over to chapter 18, you'll find out he is one of, he has promoted to general, one of three generals in David's army because he was committed. He was committed. He was faithful, even though he joined the army the day before Absalom took over the city. Number three, a soldier must be able to teach. Second Timothy chapter, um, now you turn it off of that page, verse 24, Second Timothy 2.24. The Lord's bond servant must not, be, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach. God's called you to teach others. That's discipleship. Number four, number, uh, four, soldiers must endure hardship. They must endure hardship. You see that in verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. You're going to suffer hardship in this world. That's all there is to it. They might have good days and bad days, but we're going to suffer some hardship. They're going to suffer losses. I lost my best friends when I got saved. My whole parents were mad at me for months my dad for over 18 years. Number five, soldier must be avoid entanglements with the world. That's what it says here. A warrior, uh, no soldier in active service. Since you're a Christian, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of this world so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier, and that's Jesus. You don't get tangled up in this nonsense stuff. Number six, soldiers must please his commanding officer. I just read it. Why does he not get messed up in the affairs of everyday life? So he can please the one that enlisted him as a soldier. The Lord wants us to go into battle straight, firm, consistent, focused. Number seven, the soldier must be integrable. Look at verse five. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. As a soldier, as an athlete, you have to compete according to the rules. And these are the rules. Number one, if 
But as many as received Christ, he gave you the power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved with your heart. He's telling you, you, you have to compete by the rules. What's the rules to get to the kingdom of heaven? You need Jesus. You need Jesus. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, except through me. Because I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. you got to compete by the rules. I know one guy years ago, I'm going back, I don't know, 20-some years. A guy was a race car driver. He drove a race car and he won the race. So he's expected this big trophy. Except when they inspected his car, he didn't compete by the rules. So he took the crown and gave it to the number two guy. So he goes out and buys himself a big trophy and puts it on the shelf of where he works. I mean, that thing was big. It was like this tall and that wide. I thought, you didn't compete by the rules. You, you didn't win that race because you didn't compete by the rules. Number eight, a soldier must be a student. Turn to verse 615 of 2 Timothy. Be diligent to present yourself approved unto God as a workman who needs not be estranged. Another version says, study. Show yourself approved unto God as a workman who needs not to be afraid, handling accurately the word of truth. Number nine, soldier must be steadfast. Verse 19, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. We must be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Number 10, a soldier must be honorable. Look at verse 20. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, anyone who cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. If you've got all your armor on, you're going to be acceptable to matter to the Lord. You will be a vessel of honor that the Lord can use you. Not someone that you have the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, but your breastplate of righteousness don't exist. And your helmet's off your head. You opened yourself up to the enemy just like Goliath did when he took off his helmet and it cost him his life. Number 11. A soldier must be in good spiritual shape. Verse 22. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Soldier must be in good spiritual shape. He's fleeing youthful lusts. He's pursuing faith, love, peace with a pure heart. That's another trait. The last trait of a Christian soldier is a soldier must be patient. The Lord's bond servant, verse 24 through 26. The Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God would grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth, and they will come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil because those people are being held captive to do the devil's will. There are some people in the church. Remember I got to that verse that says, the Lord, the devil is in, even in heavenly places. The devil can have a stronghold in each and every one of us. I'm not talking possession. I'm talking the devil has a stronghold in some of our lives. It might be, it might be something serious like pornography. It might be something simple like telling a little white lie. But that's a stronghold that the enemy has. And if the enemy has a stronghold in any of our lives, he... He's going to do whatever it takes to get to his stronghold. It's time for you to throw that bomb in there. It's called the blood of Christ. And blow that, blow that devil to smithereens and send him back to the bottomless pit where he belongs. I'm going to end it there because I think we pretty much covered just about everything I wanted to cover.
and I hope uh, you understand where I'm getting at. Number one, to be a believer, you must repent. Without repentance, you don't have any faith. Number two, you need to be discipled. And some of us might be discipled again because we slipped off. We wandered from the path, and we need to come back. If any of you out there over the Internet are ready to do that, you can just get on your knees and use your whole heart and ask God. Tell him you're coming back to his stronghold. Even King David, when he was out in the field, uh, God sent a prophet to him and said, Get back to the stronghold, David. And David went back to the stronghold. It's time for you to get back to the stronghold, and your stronghold is Jesus Christ. Get on your knees, call out to the Lord, repent, and get back into church. Be discipled, read your Bible, memorize Scripture, study, and show yourself approved unto God. If any of you are here in the church, need to do something like that. The altar's open as soon as we're done here. The altar's open. Come on up, and we'll pray for you. All right? Let's close in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Father, for the word of God. Lord, your word's so beautiful. I just love it. There's so much in this passage, Lord, we can't even begin to fathom it in, in an hour teaching, Lord God. So, Father, impress what you want onto our hearts by the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit and help us to become that believer you want us to be. And some of us are probably in good shape, but we could be better because we're not perfect. Help us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless the church. I love you all. And the altar's open.